everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I've got my brother and producer, Joel, here with me in the studio as well. And today we're going to be covering one of the most famous hauntings out there. And reason for this is because Ghost Adventure star Zach Beggins actually purchased the home where this famous haunting took place. And if you've ever seen the documentary called Demon House, then you know exactly which paranormal case we're covering today. And if you don't know, that case is the Emmons family haunting. Also, AKA the portal to hell, apparently is in this house that they lived in. Before we dive into this absolutely creepy and insane paranormal case, I wanna quickly thank our sponsors for today. We have Purple Babble Care Of. Also, I wanted to let you know that all of our merch is 30% off right now. We've got a few items left, few sizes left, just trying to clean house so that we can do a new drop for you. So if you want some merch, go check it out right now. It's mileharmerch.com. Again, everything on the store is 30% off for Lights Out. And also, if this show causes you anxiety, <laughs> which for many of you, it does. Even even me at sometimes, man. You know, Especially after our last episode, which we covered. Yeah, the boogeyman. Whew. Covered Albert Fish. One nasty motherfucker. Pardon my language. Tough one, though. Yeah. Tough one. Tough one. Definitely uh, a real creep. Well, I'm here to tell you there's something that might help you with that anxiety and just help chill you out. If you haven't checked out Higher Love Wellness, that is my CBD brand. And if you've never tried CBD before, it's all extracted from the hemp plant. It's 100% legal, does not get you high, but it does give you a nice, chill, calm feeling that will definitely help getting through these episodes a little bit easier. Absolutely. And I must say, I uh, took two of these little gummies earlier and yeah, they're very delicious tasting and I'm feeling good, man. That's all I can say. I'm just feeling it good. It's it's great to to chill out at work yeah. or at home after a long day. Uh-huh. I personally use our Blueberry OG vape cartridge pretty yeah. much throughout the entire day because it just helps keep me mellow, helps yeah. keep me focused uh, without you know having to worry about being high and all that. Oh, yeah. And I still feel super productive when I take CBD. Like, I don't feel tired. I feel pretty alert and just at ease. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's like a dimmer switch for your body. Yeah. It really is. It, it kind is. of dims the lights for you. It does. Helps you get in that lights out mood. But let's go ahead and jump into the Ammons family haunting. In November 2011, Latoya Ammons rented a house on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. And there she moved in with her three kids as well as her mother, Rosa Campbell. Her kids consisted of two sons who were seven and nine years old and one daughter who was 12. And the kids were very excited to move into their new home. And at first, everything was great. But by December, swarms of horseflies infested their screened-in porch, something that they would never expect to experience in the middle of winter. Latoya and her mother kept killing the bugs, but they always came back. Day after day, the insects returned to the porch in huge numbers. So that right there is is definitely interesting. I mean, I've never been to Gary, Indiana. I don't really know what the climate's like there. But I would say in any state during the winter, to have an infestation of flies of any kind would be very bizarre. 
Right. Unless there was a nest there previously and, you know, they're just now finding out about it. But I doubt it because. Well, most bugs, especially flies, if you think about it, when it gets cold, the weather gets colder, it gets cold in Indiana, Mm -hmm. die. Oh, yeah, true. Like in the summer, usually you've got more flies flying around. But in the winter, it's usually like bug free if if your climate is cold. Gotcha. Obviously, Florida, you're kind of fucked because it's always warm. Right. And there's always going to be shit flying around. You can't escape the bugs. But for Latoya and her family, this was definitely kind of weird. So they're like, why is our screened in porch? First of all, screened in got flies everywhere. Right. And like you said, maybe maybe there was some type of infestation of a. Yeah. I don't know, fly hive. I don't know. I don't even know. I've never even really heard of like swarms of flies. No, me neither. Being a a big issue for people. Yeah. And I was going to say, I've only seen it in horror movies that swarms of flies can be a sign of paranormal activity. Right. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But then as quickly as these flies seem to arrive, they disappeared. And obviously this made Latoya and Rosaphil some sense of relief. But soon... They noticed more strange things starting to happen. After midnight each night, they heard footsteps on the basement stairs. And when they heard this, they knew no one was walking on these stairs. And then soon these footsteps were followed by the distinct sound of the door opening from the basement to the kitchen. It's probably one of my larger fears is that one day I'll hear my basement door open yeah and knowing full knowing that nobody's down there i feel like too as a kid growing up that was like you know i was gonna say the same thing the basement most kids are scared of the basements yeah. like growing up or I had a creepy basement yeah exactly and i've even had dreams i know you have too getting like dragged down the stairs into the basement <laughs> or some shit you yeah, know? i'm sure those movies we watched didn't help you because <laughs> it's all that's always where shit goes down yeah. right i mean they're whatever these entities are they seem to love being under the ground yeah do you remember when we were younger and uh we were staying in the house and you're finally fed up with sharing a room with me yeah, you're like yeah. you know what fuck it i'm just going down to the basement dude you slept in a scary ass basement for like two years bro and i, I was like concerned about you because that basement was scary <laughs> yeah no no lie though that that shit was scary yeah it was uh you had this creepy ass storage room right next to your bedroom that was like pitched at pitch dark no windows no nothing yeah, it was almost like a crawl space next to it. It <laughs> yeah. felt like that. It was un- it was like an unfinished room. Oh, yeah. That we just kind of put a, our parents put a bunch yeah. of shit in there. But you had to go through my bedroom to get right. to it. And I swear to God, as a kid growing up in that room, I was like, there's something in there. Bro. Like, you, you know, you start mentally thinking like, yeah, what what hap- What am I going to do <laughs> if that door opened on its own? Oh, my God. And I wish I could sit here and say that I had that ex- it a paranormal ex- experience right. there where the door. But now, unfortunately, yeah. nothing ever happened. But but dude, even the dogs were scared of that room. Remember? Yeah. So, yeah. Who, who knows? Man? You never you, know. You could have been. <laughs> you never next know. To something. That's very true. So due to the eerie activity coming from the basement, Latoya started locking the basement door at night. But they kept hearing the same sounds. These heavy footsteps followed by the creak of the door. And one night, Latoya woke up startled. Someone was coming out of her closet and walked into the living room. And after she saw this, she crept out of bed and followed it. And the shadowy figure seemed to look like a large man that was just pacing the room. She then turned on the light and prepared for the worst. But the figure disappeared. 
But this is crazy. When she walked over to where she saw the shadowy figure pacing, she claimed to have seen large, wet, muddy boot prints all across the floor. What's crazy about this particular piece of evidence is that other people witnessed these events as well. On March 10, 2012, LaToya hosted a wake for the death of a family member, and several relatives were up late that night with LaToya and Rosa, and everyone was just gathered around talking and grieving together. And around 2 a.m. in the morning, all of a sudden they heard LaToya's daughter screaming from her room, Mama! Mama! And so they rushed in to check on her. And what they saw when they walked in was shocking and unexplainable. Their daughter was unconscious and levitating off of the bed. And so they were like, oh my God, as anyone would be if you walked in and saw anybody levitating off their bed. They gathered around her and started praying. And I guess as the more and more they prayed, she slowly lowered back onto the bed. And that's interesting that they heard uh, the daughter's voice. And to me, it makes me think it could possibly be the entity impersonating the daughter to get the attentions of the parents to come up there because she's unconscious. So right. who, who was saying mama, mama, you know? And we have heard reports of spirits doing this type of thing uh-huh. to try to draw you to lure you in. Exactly. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to fear too. They know that that's going to be shocking. Mm-hmm. They know that's going to be scary for you. And it's interesting that prayer seemed to work in this scenario. Apparently she woke up soon after she, you know, after they're praying for a little bit and she had absolutely no memory of what happened or levitating whatsoever. But after this happened, the relatives that were visiting Latoya left immediately and refused to ever come back to the house again. And any family or friends who came to the house eventually saw something terrifying and then never returned. So very quickly, their home became a very lonely and isolated place for LaToya and her kids. And all they could do was depend on each other and their faith in God. And you're probably thinking, LaToya, leave. Why would you want to live in a house where this is happening? And she did. She wanted to move out. But unfortunately, their family didn't have a lot of money. And they didn't know anyone who could take in all five family members. So they were stuck there. Rosa told her that they needed help from the church because something supernatural was happening in the house. And there was no way they could deal with it alone. So Latoya started calling the local churches. But after explaining what was going on, most of them brushed her off. This is a very interesting thing because, you know, Joel and I have shared many times on here that we grew up very religious. We grew up in a Christian home. And I I have to say that I think if we had come to many of our pastors and said, there's something supernatural happening in our home, that they probably would have been like, are you sure? Yeah, they they, probably would have been skeptical. They would definitely question it and then maybe try and tell us something to like believe something else. I don't know. Right. Or, or like it would, 
the blame would immediately come on to us. Exactly. They'd be like, you're, you know, what are you watching? What are you consuming? Right. You're probably filling your head with all these scary things and ideas. And therefore you're, you're projecting yeah. this supernatural activity in your home. I think that's exactly what they would say. Honestly, uh, that's what I think is that uh, they would probably blame us. Oh yeah. Like, what are you guys doing? man? <laughs> Stop playing those video games. Yeah, right. Stop watching the grudge, man. Yeah. So it's not told. It doesn't, really surprised me that these churches are like yeah okay whatever <laughs> like it, clearly this is like some bullshit because i mean even many catholic churches don't even recognize exorcisms don't have exorcists or anything like that and will brush you off as well yeah but in this particular case it really seems like there is something haunting this house there's something dwelling inside that is causing this paranormal activity to happen but one particular church did give her some advice. They told her to clean the house with bleach and ammonia and then to draw crosses on every door and window with olive oil. And they said this would help rid the house of evil spirits. So that's what she did. Latoya poured olive oil on her kids' hands and feet and used it to draw crosses on their foreheads. And then she went and prayed over the children hoping that the evil presence would flee and leave them alone for a while. But when the strange things kept happening, Latoya realized that the church really did not help them. So she decided to call a psychic. She ended up getting advice from two different psychics who ended up telling her that more than 200 demons were possessing the home. If you believe in psychics, which many people don't, and honestly, I think there's a lot of people that claim to be psychics that are just full shit. But I do think there are people, and I think most people, if not all of us, to some extent, possess some t sort of psychic ability. And I think many of us just don't know we have it or don't know how to harness it. But there are people who are do have this gift and are able to harness it. And so there is a very real possibility that these psychics enter Latoya's home and they're immediately able to make the connection that there is evil spirits here, negative entities, demons, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of them that are responsible for this activity. So the psychic's advice was to move immediately and never return to the home. But again, she's like, this is not an option. We can't afford to do this. So they told her that if they had to stay in the house, she needed to follow their instructions very carefully. So their advice was to have Latoya make an altar in their basement using an end table and a white sheet. And then on top of the altar, she would put a Bible a white candle, and the statues of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And then she poured salt all along the basement walls, which is supposed to help keep evil spirits out. She then opened the Bible to Psalm 91, which is a particular passage about being protected by God. And with some help from a friend, they got the ritual done. They all dressed in white, tied white scars around their head, and burned sage and sulfur throughout the entire house, leaving a trail of thick smoke as they went around. And while doing this, they recited Psalm 91 out loud. Latoya drew a cross in the air with the smoke as they made their way through the house. They went all around the upstairs and down into the basement. And that was it. All Latoya could do now was wait to see if it worked. And for the next three days, everything seemed normal. They did not experience any sort of strange activity in the house 
My question is, did they at least open the windows to let the spirits out to open the doors? I don't know for sure. I assume that a psychic would give them, you know, that advice. If they're, if they know that, you know, sage salt, if they know that much, I'm pretty sure they would have known to freaking open the windows. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that. Don't realize that there's no way for it to escape. But anyways, the spirits came back. And this time, it seemed like they had something to prove. Latoya reported that her kids started acting very strangely. Twisted smiles would appear on their faces for no reason. And they talked in strange, deep voices. Oftentimes, their eyes were wide and bulging. And they just seemed to change into completely different people. But after these phases that they were kind of going through, they didn't remember any of it. That's probably because they didn't know any difference. They probably didn't even realize that they were doing these things. Her seven-year-old son would sit in his closet talking to himself, literally having an entire conversation as if something was in there with him. He would also talk in a low, gruff voice that was so deep, there's no way it would come from a little child. He'd say things like, I've been here long enough. I came to kill. I'm going to kill now. Her nine-year-old son described in detail what it was like to be killed. Her daughter heard voices that would taunt her, and she would cover her ears and yell things like, I can't take it anymore. Make them stop. I can't look in their eyes. If I, my kids, my future kids ever do some shit like that, I would take that very, very seriously because that is very concerning. Absolutely. Because kids don't just, kids, I mean, kids do silly, goofy shit all the time, but all of your kids start, you know, have this drastic of a change Mm -hmm. and start exhibiting behavior to me that, and to many others would say, yeah, signs of possession. Right. And that's why kids are so vulnerable because they're at the highest risk of being taken over by some entity or, you know, something like that. And that's because when you're younger like that, your connection to the spiritual realm, the other side, whatever you want to call it, is much stronger. Because if you think about it, you're much closer to your birth at that point and closer to whatever is out there. And I think just being so innocent at that age is a factor as well. Makes you an easy target too, if you think about it. Easy to manipulate. Right. Easy to control Mm -hmm. so it kind of makes sense but very very concerning latoya also felt strange things too her temperature would just rise randomly and she would feel weak and lightheaded and she'd have body shakes and it was unlike anything she'd ever felt before and because of this she knew it was something supernatural rosa tried to help her daughter and grandchildren as best as she could she never experienced anything herself and believed that this was because she had a guardian angel protecting her. But eventually things got violent when one of the boys shot out of the bathroom like someone had picked him up and thrown him. And Latoya's daughter seemed to get the worst of it. Once, she was hit so hard with the headboard she needed stitches. And another time she said she was held down and choked by an invisible force. And during this attack, she couldn't talk or move a muscle. She was completely paralyzed. Very interesting. As some would say, maybe she was experiencing sleep paralysis. A lot of similar symptoms here. 
But why would a child make up an experience like that with such specific details? A terrifying voice spoke to her and said she would never see her family again and that they'd be dead in 20 minutes. And things escalated at night, so much so that the kids could hardly sleep. They were so exhausted and sleep deprived that they missed a ton of school. And some nights, Latoya checked her family into a hotel, which was something she couldn't really afford, but literally was willing to do it just so that they could get one good night's sleep. The last night the family spent in the house was very violent. Objects were flying around the rooms by themselves. A lamp and an air freshener flew from the bedroom into the living room. And the kids were throwing chairs and other furniture. It was complete chaos. Latoya and Rosa grabbed what they could, took the kids and left. And her older son was picked up and flipped right off the porch as they fled. Desperate for answers, Latoya decided to take her kids to the doctor to get checked out. So they went to their family doctor in April 2012. The doctor later said that when he walked into the exam room to see Latoya and her kids, he said he experienced terror. And it made no sense to him because in his 20 years as a doctor, he had never felt anything like this come over him. But he believed that the family was suffering from delusions and hallucinations that were making them believe there were ghosts in their home. But then the doctor was stunned when the seven-year-old boy started cursing him in this deep, horrifying voice. And as a doctor, he had never heard that kind of a language from a child before. Then the nine-year-old son joined in. And at one point, the boys actually lunged at the doctor and attacked him. The medical staff tried to intervene when suddenly the younger boy was lifted off the ground and thrown into a wall when no one was touching him. After hitting the wall, he landed on the floor and passed out. And when he passed out, the older boy passed out at the same time. And they tried to shake him awake, but they were both out cold. This is all happening at the doctor's office. So obviously this is a scary, scary experience. So they end up calling 911. And at least seven police officers came with multiple ambulances. The staff was extremely panicked and it was almost impossible for the police officers to figure out what had happened. But the boys were taken by ambulance to the hospital. And when Latoya got there, she told the nurses to put olive oil on their heads and they laughed at her. Not knowing what else to do, Latoya started praying. Eventually the boys woke up and the family waited together in the hospital room. But then it started again. The younger boy started screaming and trying to attack everyone in the room. Members of the medical staff rushed in and it took five men to control him. At this point, the Department of Child Services was called in. The hospital staff suspected the kids were being abused or neglected because there's literally no other explanation for his behavior. The Department of Child Services sent Valerie Washington, an experienced caseworker who had witnessed extreme violence, abuse, and poverty to come and interview the family. The staff reported that Latoya and her kids were physically healthy. The kids had no injuries, cuts, marks, or bruises. The hospital psychiatrist had talked to Latoya and said she seemed to be sane. But when Valerie got there, she immediately suspected that Latoya was suffering from a mental illness that was also affecting her children. It looked to her like the kids were encouraged every time they exhibited these strange behaviors, and things just kept escalating. 
While she was talking to the seven-year-old boy, he growled at her and gnashed his teeth. Then his eyes rolled back in his head, and only the whites of his eyes could be seen. Although this was very freaky, it was still explainable. The boy then lunged at his brother and started choking him, and he held on so tight that again, it took multiple adults to pry him apart. At this point, Valerie decided to take a break and figure out what to do next. Later that night, she took the boys and their grandmother into a separate room with an RN and a psychologist. The younger boy growled again while staring at his brother, and he spoke in what sounded like an adult man's voice and said, It's time to die. I will kill you. The older boy bent over and started running toward his target. Not his brother, but his grandmother, ramming himself into her stomach with his head over and over again while also growling. Rosa took his hand and said, You're not my grandson. You are a demon. And started praying. And as she prayed, the boy smiled wide and walked backward toward the wall. And then to everyone's shock, he kept walking backwards right up the wall and onto the ceiling. And he kept holding onto his grandmother's hand while walking across the ceiling. And then flipped over Rosa and dropped to the floor, landing softly on his feet. Still holding Rosa's hand, he just stood there while everyone in the room was absolutely stunned and in complete silence. Valerie was the first one to run out of the room, and the other staff members followed her. And they found the doctor and frantically explained what they had just witnessed. The doctor then came into the exam room to talk to the boy, and he wanted him to do what he thought was a trick again. But neither of the boys knew what he was talking about. The older boy said, obviously, I can't walk up a wall. And that's when the RN suggested that the boy was possessed by a demon. And even Valerie, a complete skeptic, agreed that there was some sort of evil influence controlling the family. The seven-year-old boy was admitted, and Latoya stayed with him overnight. Rosa took the other kids to stay with a relative, and none of them wanted to go back to their house. The next day, the little boy turned eight years old, and if spending his birthday in the hospital wasn't bad enough, things only got worse. The Department of Child Services told Latoya that they wanted to talk to the family again, and Rosa brought the other kids back to the hospital. The family got a little cake and sang happy birthday, trying to celebrate together as best as they could. After they ate some cake, Valerie came back in to talk to Latoya. At that point, she broke the news that they were taking her children into their custody, as they believed they were being neglected and were concerned that the kids had been missing so much school. Valerie later wrote in her report that the kids were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress. The entire family was crushed, though. The kids cried and clung to their mother. They clearly didn't want to leave her, but it was too late. Completely defeated, Latoya had no idea what to do next, but soon she got some unexpected help. The hospital chaplain had called Father Michael Maginot, who went by Father Mike to come in and talk to the Ammons family. The chaplain explained that the nine-year-old boy was possessed by an evil spirit and needed an exorcism. Father Mike had no experience with something like this, but he met with Latoya and Rosa after Mass that Sunday and then came to their house to check things out for himself. He talked to the women for two hours and they showed him the boot prints left in the living room by the figure that disappeared. 
And that's when the bathroom light started flickering. And Father Mike walked toward the light. And it stopped. He inspected it and was sure the light was off. But when he walked away, the flickering came back. And this happened several more times. He felt an unsettling presence. As if this light was being controlled by an evil spirit. And that for whatever reason it was afraid of him. After the light flickering incident, the blinds in the kitchen started moving. No windows were open and no vents were blowing air in the room. They were just doing it all on their own. Latoya told the priest that she had a terrible headache, so he decided to do an experiment and put a crucifix against her forehead. And when he did this, she immediately started convulsing and he pulled it away. Father Mike was in their house for four hours of time. And he determined, after being there, that there was a presence that needed to be exercised. He also believed that the, whatever this presence or entity was had actually attached itself to Latoya. So he sprinkled holy water and said a prayer before he left. And he also convinced Latoya and Rosa to stay with a family member because their house was not safe. Valerie their caseworker met the women at the house a few weeks later for an inspection. She insisted that a police officer come along and two officers from other departments join the inspection. They had heard about the story of this haunted house and possessed family and came to see it for themselves. Charles Austin, the captain of the Gary police department was one of these officers. He had been at the house the month before for a welfare check when it was reported that the kids had missed a lot of school. And when he went into the house that day, he saw crucifixes, candles, and Bibles everywhere. And he knew something really strange was happening there. He believed in ghosts, but not in evil demons. But while there, he definitely felt an evil presence lingering in the home. Latoya asked Father Mike to be there during this Department of Child Services inspection for moral support. And in case something supernatural happened. When they all arrived, Latoya lost her nerve. She refused to go into the house. So Rosa had to take them all inside. She then showed them the spot where they believed this evil presence had come from. And it was a dirt floor underneath the stairs leading down to the basement. They were all in the basement for about 15 minutes. When all of a sudden several strange things happened. There was a door that led into a separate room. And one officer noticed that the door was in a different position each time he looked at it. But obviously no one had gone into the room. The officer questioning Rosa turned on the audio recorder to tape her answers, but it wouldn't record. And it turns out that the batteries were dead, even though brand new batteries were put in that day. They had to get a different recorder. And later on, when they played back the tape, they heard a voice whispering, Hey, it was really clear, almost as if someone was speaking right into the recorder. They also took photos while they were there, and when reviewing them later, a photo of the basement stairs had a strange white spot in one corner. They enhanced the picture, and they saw that the spot had a face, and that's when they saw another green spot that looked like the figure of a woman. Captain Austin took photos with his iPhone and later saw that they revealed shadowy figures. They looked like the outlines of people walking around the house, and the family said that they had seen these terrifying figures before. And they believed that they were demons. And as the captain was leaving the basement, he noticed a foil pan with a candle underneath the stairs. And to him, it looked like the remnants of a ritual. 
and he started to worry that maybe someone had conjured an evil spirit. Very, very interesting. This sounds like some other cases I've heard about as well, where in the basement, there's a dirt floor, and sometimes there's signs of a ritual that's taken place, or somebody attempted to conjure something, or sometimes there's something buried in those dirt spaces. All I know is that if I had a dirt space in my basement, that shit's getting covered up <laughs> covered right up. away. Yep. <laughs> I'm digging a hole, making sure there's nothing in there that I'm covering up, but then I'm cementing over that. Yeah, man, better safe than sorry. Screw that. You never know. I yep. mean, especially in these old, old homes. But if I lived in a home that was 100 plus years old, and I didn't know the history of the home, especially. Dude, I'd, I'd, I'd rather camp out in a tent if that's the case. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never know what's buried yeah. there. For all you know, that could be a burial site for something. Exactly. Or. And, and the older the house, I mean, the more chances, likely. Chances go up. Exactly. That it is something like that. But on the flip side, someone might say, maybe LaToya set that up. A foil pan, a candle, it doesn't, to me, from what I know about different types of rituals, that doesn't immediately ring a bell for me for anything yeah. I've ever heard of. It seems almost like a prop, like you're trying to set up a scene of, because like really, she lives in this house for that long, she never knows there's a foil pan with a candle in it and other Great remnants point. of a ritual, unless it, she's the one doing the ritual. Yeah, it's pretty sus to me. Very sus. <laughs> yeah. But when the captain left the house, he drove a mile away and pulled over at a gas station. There he made a call and was talking when the radio in his car turned to static. And his radio was at full volume. And that's when he heard a threatening voice say, You in there? And the person he was actually talking on the phone with heard the voice as well. But that wasn't all. When he got home, his garage door wouldn't open even though it was working just fine earlier that day. And the next time he drove his car, the driver's seat moved back and forth on its own. So he took it to a mechanic to get it checked out. And the mechanic told him if he hadn't had this fixed, it may have likely caused him to die in an accident or just cause an accident, period. Captain Austin had an overwhelming feeling that he would have died in a crash. After all this, he was starting to believe that an evil presence from the Ammon's house had followed him and was trying to keep him from investigating further. Some of the police officers who were inside the house were so afraid that they ended up leaving the police force and actually moved out of Gary, Indiana. Captain Austin was then completely convinced that something under the stairs was the cause of this chaos. And during the Department of Child Services investigation, officials asked LaToya why the kids missed so much school. And when she said the spirits would make them sick and keep them up all night, they were very concerned. Her older son and daughter were actually placed in an emergency shelter for kids and families. And her younger son was sent to a psychiatric facility where he could undergo an intense evaluation. He was actually evaluated by psychologist Stacy Wright. And at first the conversation was normal. But when she asked him about the haunting or demons, he gave nonsensical answers. When she tried to push him further, he changed the story to a version that was just as illogical 
His answers were different every time she repeated a question, and he constantly changed the subject to ask bizarrely morbid questions back at her, like, can you die if you go to space? Stacy didn't think he was psychotic. She believed he was being influenced by his mother's delusions, and his behavior was reinforced by her and other adults when they believed his stories and gave him more attention when he acted out. The older kids, on the other hand, were evaluated by psychologist Joel Schwartz, and he agreed with Stacy's assessment that they were all being affected by their mother's delusions. So he recommended that Latoya's daughter undergo a more in-depth evaluation because she seemed especially affected by her mother's religious beliefs. During these interviews, the kids talked about going into trances, blacking out even, seeing shadowy figures in their home, and doors and objects moving around on their own. All three were convinced that demons were to blame, and all their stories matched up. DCS officials gave LaToya supervised visits with her kids, but she wasn't allowed to discuss demonic possession or anything related to the haunting, and discipline had to be completely separated from religion. And in order to get her kids back, she needed to find work and a new place to live so that the kids didn't believe that their house was possessed with demons. Latoya was very miserable without her kids and started working on finding a job right away. The police and DCS visited the house again for an inspection, and this time Valerie refused to go, as she was traumatized by what she had seen in the hospital, and she still had no rational explanation for why a little boy would walk across the wall and ceiling. This affected her so much that she ended up quitting her job with DCS soon after and left Gary, Indiana all together. Captain Austin went to the house with two other police officers where they met Latoya, Rosen, Father Mike, and their new DCS caseworker, Samantha Illick. Most of the group went straight to the basement, which was the supposed source of this paranormal activity in the house. But Samantha noticed a thick, liquid dripping from the ceiling and when she touched it she said it was slick but sticky the men checked all over but couldn't find the source of this strange liquid father mike and the officers wanted to see what was under the stairs was there a dead body maybe a pentagram that could be causing some of this activity an officer actually dug a large hole in the dirt about four feet down when they found a bunch of random objects a press-on pink fingernail, a pair of white women's underwear, a comb, a red tin, two children's socks with the bottoms cut off, candy wrappers, a shirt pin, and a heavy metal bar. And it became very clear to them that someone had buried these objects under the stairs. Afterwards, they filled the hole, and Father Mike spread blessed salt all around the area and all around the basement. Afterwards, the group went upstairs to look around more. And that's when the officers found a slick, oily substance on the blinds in one of the bedrooms that hadn't been there before. The oil was coming from between the slats. And like in the basement, they checked all around and couldn't find a source. They even photographed it, cleaned off the blinds and shut the door. And they put a Q-tip in the door to make sure no one could go in without them knowing. And then they left for about 40 minutes while the priest blessed the house. And when they returned... The Q-tip was right where they left it, but the oily substance was back on the blinds. And they were positive no one had been in that room. 
and nothing was coming from the outside of the house, the window, or the ceiling. So they had no idea what this substance was. When Samantha reached out and touched the oil on the blinds with her left hand, the skin from her fingertips turned white like all the blood had suddenly drained out. She also felt a terrible pain in her pinky finger and it got all tingly. It felt like she had just smashed it under heavy weight and broke it. After a few minutes, she started having a full-on panic attack and went outside, refusing to go back into the house. Shortly after, LaToya felt the familiar headache she had when she was inside the house and a pain shot into her shoulders. She'd also had enough and went outside with Samantha. Captain Austin, who was a seasoned officer who had investigated cold-blooded killers and violent rapists and had even been shot in the line of duty, said that nothing scared him like being in this house. So he went outside as the sun was going down, saying that I will not be in this house after dark. Father Mike stepped onto the porch while Captain Austin was checking on Samantha. He stopped and stared straight ahead and his face turned white as a ghost. The captain called out, Father, what's wrong? And the priest answered calmly, The blinds are dripping. And after they witnessed strange things in the house for the second time, Father Mike decided it was time to request permission for an exorcism to be performed. Because in the Catholic Church, you must request permission from the Bishop of Diocese of Gary. And the bishop had been in this diocese for 21 years and had never given anyone permission to perform an exorcism. And at first, his request was denied. The bishop told him to talk to other priests first who had experience with these kinds of things. And one of these priests he talked to recommended a kind of minor exorcism he could do on Latoya that didn't need to be approved by the bishop. And the purpose of this ritual was basically to agitate the demons and maybe get them to leave. But he had to be careful because if he angered them, he could be putting Latoya's life in danger. He then literally researched how to perform this ritual on the internet. And once he was satisfied he knew what he was doing, he got the ball rolling. <laughs> He's like, I just saw a YouTube video on how to perform an exorcism. <laughs> it's like, what? Don't know if that's going to work, man. Yeah. So then... He met Latoya at the house and did what he called an intense blessing. He was also met there by two police officers and Samantha, the caseworker. And for two hours, he said prayers, recited scripture, and ordered the demons to leave her at once. Samantha was skeptical that any of this was real, but she later said the whole thing definitely gave her chills. Everyone who witnessed the ritual felt like there was another presence in the room that wasn't any of them. It was like as if they were being watched closely by someone who was very, very angry. After this minor rite, Father Mike told Latoya to pay close attention to how she felt. He also said the ritual would have more power if they could name the demons. As he said, demons have individual personalities, and each has their own preferred methods for torturing people. Latoya and a friend spent hours online researching demons and finding the names of those that fit with their experience such as Beezlebub, Lord of the Flies. The search took longer because her computer kept shutting down for no reason. And Latoya also felt really sick the entire time. She was dizzy and lightheaded and had to take several breaks. And when her troubling symptoms didn't stop, the bishop finally gave Father Mike permission to perform a full exorcism, which was more powerful than the minor ritual. 
again, clearly didn't have a lot of experience with this. Watched a couple YouTube videos. <laughs> and Father Mike performed three exorcisms on Latoya in June 2012, all in his church. The two police officers also witnessed the rituals, but Samantha said, hell no, I'm not watching that shit. And she also refused to work on the case anymore. Father Mike said prayers, recited scripture, praised God, and put a crucifix against Latoya's head as he tried to cast out the demons. And as he spoke, Latoya started convulsing, and the convulsions got more violent as he continued, because it seemed like the demons were fighting back. Latoya tried to pray with the priest, but praying caused such intense pain throughout her body, she eventually had to stop. She explained that this pain felt like something was deep inside of her that wanted to hurt her, but also cling to the inside of her body, refusing to leave. She said that the pain could be described as worse than childbirth, which as I've heard, childbirth is probably the most painful. If you give do childbirth naturally, it's the most painful experience you could possibly have as a human. Yeah. So painful. If this is true, that is some intense pain. Yeah. And I was going to say, I hear it's even worse than a kidney stone. Like it's way oh, more yeah. painful oh, than a kidney yeah. stone. Oh, way worse. Yeah. I've never had your one, body's but... literally splitting apart. Oh, right. Literally splitting apart and giving birth without medication. That's, that's gotta be tough. Props, props to women props who to do that. that. Like, yeah. If I were a woman, I'd be like, drug me up. Yes, please. Or just, Cut it out of me, like do a C-section, <laughs> yeah. like because God, pain sounds horrible. Uh-huh. But Latoya saying these demons are worse than childbirth, so that's that's some serious shit. Yeah, really serious. And after a while, Latoya actually passed out, and later she said the presence inside her forced her to fall asleep in order to make the ritual less effective. So the priest took a break over a period of several days or weeks. We don't really know between each exorcism, and it was so exhausting for Latoya that she needed to rest and heal in between. And during this time, Latoya and Rosa actually found a place to live in Indianapolis, and Father Mike blessed their new home. And before the last exorcism, Latoya was suffering with terrifying nightmares. She called Father Mike, who was out of town on a retreat, and luckily he had a backup plan to help her. His assistant had written the name of a demon on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope and put a ring of blessed salt around it. If Latoya had these nightmares, the assistant was instructed to perform a ritual where she burned the envelope and the note inside, saved the ashes and then put them in a bonfire at the church. And once this ritual was completed, Latoya's nightmare stopped and never came back. And toward the end of June, Father Mike performed the final exorcism in Latin, which made it even more powerful than the first two, which were done in English. And this time, the priest asked his brother to witness the ritual and stand by in case help was needed. This time, though, no police officers were present. This exorcism was very intense, but instead of escalating, Latoya's symptoms got better. By the end, she stopped convulsing as the priest said the final prayer. After she passed out, he said words of thanksgiving and ended the ritual. And Latoya stopped experiencing all her paranormal symptoms after this, and she never needed another exorcism because the demons had finally left her. After that, she got her kids back that November and they moved into their new home in Indianapolis. Her kids were separated from their mother for six months, and her kids were absolutely pumped when they saw her again. And this was also the happiest that Latoya had been in a very long time. And apparently none of them experienced anything supernatural or paranormal in their new home. 
Yet they had another new caseworker who last saw the family on January 10th, 2013. And she actually wrote, no demonic presences or spirits in the home. And the case was closed in February of 2013. There are actually over 800 pages of official records about this haunting, including reports from DCS, the police, as well as interviews with police officers, caseworkers, psychologists, Father Mike, and the family. LaToya released these records to the Indianapolis Star in 2014, including medical records and reports from psychologists. Her only condition was that the children's names remain anonymous. A lot of what's written in these records is not flattering for her. Her competency as a mother and her mental state were questioned multiple times. Officials suggested she might be neglecting or abusing her children, but she still willingly released them. She explained that she knows what her family experience was real, and she believes it was God who got them out of it. Although a lot of people are very, very skeptical and have even accused LaToya of making all of this story up, but she wants them to know the truth. To give you a little bit of a sense of what LaToya sounds like, and just her explaining her experience a little bit, here's a quick clip of her. We've waited five months. It sounded like something dead. He walked up the wall and did the backwards flip. They took off and they ran. The uh, doctor from the psych ward said, that's not, that's, that's not real, that's not human. No human can do that, you know? Uh, I don't feel that someone will have a reason to make something up like that. So you might be thinking, does the story end here? Well, it does in some sense. But in others, it continues. Because when LaToya came out and told her story publicly, this caught the interest of paranormal investigator and host of Ghost Adventures, Zach Bagans. And we'll get into how he comes into the picture here in a minute. All right. Back to the Demon House. A.K.A. the former home of LaToya Emmons. So Zach Bagans... The host and producer of Ghost Adventures, which is a really, really popular show. Joel and I are definitely fans. Big fans. Watch it on Travel Channel. There's a lot of really, really interesting stuff that yeah. they've captured. They go to pretty much every haunt, famous haunted location on mm-hmm. the planet, among other just, you know, one-off houses, kind of like this one, where they, they've captured some really interesting uh, paranormal activity for sure. Absolutely. And they do a lot of thorough investigations and different types of equipment for capturing any type of activity. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It really is. And they do, they do have like the state of the art technology for capturing any sort of paranormal activity. I mean, it's not just like some amateur, you know, got the spirit box and the EMF meter out. They've got infrared. They've got all these cool cameras, laser grids. I mean, they have motion sensors. They have the full, mm-hmm. the full shebang, as yes. you would say. So, you know, if there is paranormal activity going on in a location, they're probably going to capture it if it's active. So in 2014, Zach Bagans actually had a nightmare where he was hanging out with some spirits, apparently. And in this dream, he encountered a 12-foot-tall goat man in an open doorway. And apparently, Zach was forced to inhale black smoke that came from the goat's mouth. And when he woke up, he said his lungs were in so much pain that he could barely breathe. And this was actually before he'd even heard of LaToya's story. But within days, 
It was reported everywhere. And he was convinced that his dream meant something and that it was connected somehow to Latoya's house. And after a few calls, he ended up buying this house from the current owner, Charles Reed, for only $35,000. Because Charles wasn't actually able to rent it out. Nobody wanted to stay in this haunted house. And it had actually been taken over by squatters. So once they got them out, Zach packed his things and moved with his crew to Gary, Indiana to start filming. Zach was excited to make this film and thought it would be a fun, exciting project. But boy, was he wrong. Shortly after buying the home, he got a call from a psychic medium, Chris Fleck, and he had a stern warning for him. Chris said the house's guardian was a 12-foot-tall goatman and was an absolutely, truly evil presence and that he should stay away. But now, Zach really knew that he couldn't because this is what Zach does. I mean, Zach wants... If there's paranormal claims, he wants to go and investigate them. And obviously he feels a personal connection because he had this dream about the Goatman. So he's like, no, I got to go check this out because this figure that Chris had described to him was exactly the same thing as what he saw in his dream. So he knew he was meant to do this project. And now that he had the house, he wanted to talk to the family that experienced the demonic possession. So he tracked them down at their new home in Indianapolis and tried to call several times. But apparently, LaToya never called him back. So he actually drove to Indianapolis and knocked on her door. And LaToya's brother, Kevin, answered and he explained that LaToya and Rosa refused to talk to Zach because he had been in the house and they weren't willing to take any chances. But Kevin agreed to talk to him and he drove around with Zach and explained that his sister gave him strict instructions not to ever set foot in that house. He talked about how the haunting affected his nephews and niece. And he witnessed the possession himself firsthand when he stayed with them for a few days. He actually had heard the sound of one of his nephews getting thrown across a room and crashing into a wall. Another day, the kid started to chant in his living room. And it started with his youngest nephew and moved from kid to kid. And during a car ride with Kevin and Rosa, the kids started attacking each other in the back seat. And when he pulled his youngest nephew out of the car, Rosa tried to help and he yelled, Get your hands off me, you old bitch. And that was just wild because he had never heard him talk like this to his grandmother before. After meeting with Zach, Kevin's family wouldn't let him back in the house. They were sure an evil presence had been transferred from the house to Zach to now him. And LaToya refused to talk to Zach. But in 2014, LaToya and Father Mike signed a movie deal with Evergreen Media Holdings. And before that, Zach was actually threatened by a film producer who wanted to halt production on his documentary because he wanted the film rights to the story. However, Zach never reveals who the identity of this producer was. After talking to Kevin, he tracked down Father Mike, Captain Austin, and others who had been in the house to get the rest of the story. They told him the terrifying details of the possessions, haunting, and exorcisms. What's interesting, though, is that the people who were squatting in the house, as well as the previous owner, Charles Reed, said there was no haunting in that house. Charles even told the local media how crazy it all sounded to him. But after Zach paid the squatters to leave, the man who was living there said he had seen some shit. Zach then found out that Latoya's stepmother told the media that her and her other family members were very upset that their names were being dragged into all of this. And she denied that there was anything supernatural happening to Latoya and her kids. A photo had been leaked online of a ghost in the house's front window that upset the family even more. 
and the house was supposedly empty when the photo was taken. So Zach decided to have the house inspected, and the inspector found toxins like mold, asbestos, and carbon monoxide, which could have caused some of the symptoms that LaToya had, like headaches, disorientation, and mood swings. And just as he started having his doubts about the story, he met Mika. And Mika actually lived there in the 90s with her mother, and she brought her three kids to see the house and talk to Zach. She told him when a friend of hers would stay at the house, she heard footsteps and people walking around who weren't there. And as they walked around and talked, she told them she had never been in the basement before, but agreed to go downstairs with Zach and her kids. Like, what? Why would you fucking do that? That just seems so stupid to me. But when they got to the bottom of the steps, she immediately accused one of the kids of kicking her. And when reviewing the video later, Zach saw her leg buckle, but no one had kicked her. She then explained that her brother used to live in the basement, and the back room was his bedroom. Around that time, she was having dreams that someone she knew would die, but no one in her family would listen. Soon after, her brother was shot and killed, and when she moved into the house, she refused to set foot in the basement. But after this, Mika got very upset and had to go upstairs. And Mika's son told Zach he was really scared to be inside the house and asked if the ghost would follow them home. And then Mika's microphone picked up a voice that said, Run, LaToya. After they left, Zach and his crew set up an altar in the living room and in the basement. Zach then started to freak out. He shoved a member of his crew around the room and said, Get the fuck out. And it was captured on the surveillance camera. And afterwards, Zach had no memory of what had happened. Another crew member took him out for a drive to clear his head. And a neighbor called while they were out and said someone was trying to break in. When they got back, police officers were already there. They were near the sidewalk and refused to step anywhere near the house because something might follow them home. And the next day, they talked to Valerie Washington, the first DCS caseworker for the family. And Zach asked her about the boy walking up the wall and across the ceiling. And she was saying that it was super traumatic to witness this and that she had to actually see a psychiatrist in order to process this trauma. She went on to say that minutes later, the boy had absolutely no memory of it. And she believed something was going on in that house that was beyond our realm of understanding. She had investigated child murders and saw extremely violent attacks of kids being burned and beaten. But after the Ammons case, she had to quit. She explained that everyone in the house had long-lasting effects and it wasn't just psychological trauma. Samantha Illick, the caseworker who took over for her, had multiple accidents that left her with serious injuries, and within just 30 days of being inside the house, she broke her hand hitting a table, broke her ankle running in sandals, and suffered third-degree burns in a motorcycle crash, and then broke three ribs falling off a jet ski, and her friends were convinced that she had been marked by a demon and was cursed. And Zach knew other examples of people who had been affected. After the home inspector he hired left the house, he barely dodged a falling tree while driving home. And during the night, he woke up panicked and unable to breathe. He said that he was being choked, but no one was there. And not long after, he was actually diagnosed with cancer. And then, after Father Mike started working with LaToya, he was riding home on his bike and noticed that all the people around him were staring blankly in his direction. And the next thing he knew, he was on the ground. He wasn't hurt, but his bike seat had been turned at a 45 degree angle. And he was sure the demon was trying to stop him from performing the exorcism on Latoya. 
And what's crazy is that two days after Zach met with Captain Austin in the house, he was admitted to the emergency room after a bad fall on the ice. But it wasn't an ordinary fall. Both his legs were at least three feet up in the air, and he did a full somersault before landing on his head. He was unconscious for a full minute and bleeding. And later, he was shot during a home invasion, but thankfully survived. But the most tragic effect happened to Zach's close friend and fellow paranormal investigator, Debbie Constantino. She wanted to help with the documentary and told him she would try to contact the demon living in the house remotely. And she taped the session and she actually picked up a deep voice saying, something's wrong. And a few months later, Debbie and her roommate were murdered by her husband, who then killed himself. And this absolutely devastated Zach. And the next tragedy was right around the corner. On February 20th, 2014, two days after being in the house, Mika's daughter Erica attempted suicide. She overdosed on medication and stabbed herself. And Mika called Zach in a panic. After that, a member of his crew quit on the spot and refused to come anywhere near the house again. Zach then arranged a meeting with Father Mike, Mika, and Erica a few weeks later. And when Zach asked Erica if she remembered being in the house, she just looked confused and didn't answer. A few days after being there, Erica had threatened her mom and said she was going to kill her. And she remembered doing this, but told Zach it wasn't like her. She had never talked to her mom that way before. She had so much rage, and no one could calm her down. It was as if she was a different person. She didn't remember the suicide attempt, but family members told Zach she had stabbed both her wrists, similar to the marks on Jesus' hands when he hung on the cross. And at the hospital, her sister saw the number six carved on Erica's back and said Erica was still acting strange, not like herself. The group then went to the church, and while Father Mike prayed, Erica dropped her head suddenly, and afterwards she didn't remember doing that. And Father Mike believed this was when whatever had attached to her at the house left. Other neighbors told Zach that five people died in the house that they knew of, including a little boy who stayed in the same room as Mika's brother in the basement. He also learned that Latoya's ex-boyfriend was abusive, and he started to think maybe this guy cursed the house on purpose in order to punish her. So Zach decides to confront him, and he actually went to his house. And after he went to his house and explained that he was making this documentary, the man refused to talk anymore and repeated multiple times that he wanted nothing to do with this. And maybe he was guilty, or maybe he was just scared of the house. Zach then consulted with Dr. Barry Taff, a world-renowned parapsychologist who has conducted over 4,500 investigations in his career. And Dr. Taff was helping Zach determine if man-made electromagnetic energy could have caused false positive paranormal events. Electromagnetic fields can make human brains do very strange things and can even trick people into thinking they're experiencing something paranormal. And while they were doing some tests, Zach experienced intense pain in his eyes. And then he became emotional, even aggressive. And Dr. Taff figured out that his body was being charged up in this environment and that then this energy was being discharged. Biomagnetic fields are very weak, but the energy coming off Zach was measuring 8 to 12 billion times the normal amount of energy usually produced by humans. And it was at this point that something caused Zach to lunge at Dr. Taff. But he stopped himself before touching him and walked upstairs to calm down. But the camera caught that the instrument Dr. Taff was holding spiked just as Zach lunged forward. Soon after, Dr. Taff heard a barking sound like a dog. 
Latoya and Rosa had also heard the same barking sound when they lived in the house. Dr. Taft started acting just like Mika did after she left the basement, lost and confused. Erica had also acted the same way when she wanted to leave the house. But Dr. Taft felt dizzy, like he was going to pass out. So the crew took him upstairs. Dr. Taft wandered aimlessly toward the back hallway. And the camera followed him and captured a black figure flying out of the bathroom and into the hall. When Dr. Taft walked back, he put his hand up in the same spot where the black figure had been. And it was at that point he suddenly felt very sick like he was going to throw up. Zach's next move was to consult a video engineer who worked for NASA for 32 years, and he examined the footage and was 100% sure the figure wasn't something in front of the camera lens, and it looked to him like it had entered the camera operator as he passed the doorway. Shortly after the footage was taken, the camera operator, Adam, felt sick and had to lie down. He then seemed very confused and distant. Surveillance cameras around the house caught him walking to the basement alone while no one noticed him. He went into the basement and then lay down in the back room where Mika's brother stayed, and the other crew members eventually found him there. Back at the hotel that night, he vomited blood, and later he said he felt like something was stabbing him in the stomach. He then walked into the hallway and started screaming for Zach seconds later, and the crew found him in the hallway screaming into the elevator, threatening something they couldn't see. He was extremely agitated and demanded to go back to the house. Again, it was as if he was acting like a different person. And then the elevator doors open, and he talked to something inside, and then told the other crew members to get back. Dr. Taft was staying a few floors above, and at the same moment, he woke up suddenly and heard loud bells in his left ear. He then woke up on the ground, where both of his ears were bleeding and he was shaking. And again, he felt nauseous, as if wanting to throw up. And now back in the hotel room, Adam told the crew what he had seen in the elevator. He said it was the Goatman, just like the one Zach had described seeing in his nightmare. And the reason he had screamed Zach's name was because he realized the Goatman didn't want him. It wanted Zach. The crew also knows he had a strong electromagnetic field around him. And he started acting strangely again, swearing and threatening the men in the room. And then he said something was touching his hand. Adam kept acting strange the next day. He actually told Zach to go into the bathroom at the house and smash the mirror and then slit his throat with the broken glass. So Zach took him off the crew and they tried to get him help, but he refused. And he refused to talk to Zach or about the house ever again. His personality changed and he got the number 666 tattooed on his hand on the very same spot that he claimed to have felt a dark energy touch him in that hotel room. After Dr. Taft went home, his organs started shutting down and he was admitted to the hospital. He was in good health, but the doctors didn't know what was happening to him. He had only been in the house for a few hours, but it was believed that if he had stayed overnight, he might be dead. So Zach decided enough was enough. He was ready for this to be over. So he did what Zach Beggins would do. He'd stay overnight in the house by himself. Before sundown, he went around and boarded up all the windows, and he had his crew seal the door shut. His night was captured on the surveillance videos around the house and a handheld camera that he carried around with him. And throughout the night, multiple disturbing things were caught on film. At one point, he heard a female voice in the kitchen. It said, that's my baby. And later, as he sat on a small bed, he heard thumping and creaking. 
and then a strange sound that made him jump up and drop the camera. He also yelled, get away from me. Off camera, he saw a dark figure come out of the wall and debilitating pain immediately shot through his eyes. He then moaned in pain and ran around the house knocking things over in anger, as if something had taken over him. But the next day, his eyes crossed and he had double vision. And it was at that point he was diagnosed with a serious eye condition called diplopia. And multiple neurologists couldn't determine the cause. And this condition is permanent, and this is why Zach now has to wear prism glasses. And if they try corrective surgery, he risks total blindness, all from staying overnight in the demon house. And after his overnight stay, Zach was sick for eight days straight. In fact, he was so sick he couldn't leave his hotel room. And it ended up taking him three years to finish the documentary. And Zach believes the film itself is cursed. But this documentary or paranormal film, Demon House, was released on March 16, 2018. And we'll insert a clip of the trailer for you. I'm Zach Bagans. I'm one of the world's leading researchers on ghosts and demonology. And this film is cursed. A story about a demon possession makes international news. Now look at one of the most documented cases of demon possession and exorcism in recent history. The next day over the phone, I buy the house, sight unseen. In my 37 years of police investigation, I've never run into anything like that before. But after filming, he decided to have the house demolished, as he didn't want it to hurt anyone else ever again. And most of the debris was buried in a landfill. But he kept the basement stairs and some of the dirt and put it all in a storage unit. And after the house was demolished, the police got multiple complaints of people performing satanic rituals in the empty lot. And people in the town, including, I believe, Zach, believes that this house was actually built on some type of portal to hell, to the underworld, to wherever these evil spirits or demons come from. And they worry that whatever the house was keeping inside was released when it was torn down. Pretty wild story, though, man. I mean, whether you believe it or not, definitely scary, definitely creepy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard to say for sure, obviously, if if any of this really happened or not. I mean, obviously, there's some evidence there. Multiple people experience paranormal activity in this house, demonic activity, uh-huh. it seems. So. And so many different symptoms of it, too. Right, so right. It's like the full spectrum. Yeah. I mean, we're talking police officers. We're talking priests mm-hmm. we've got a paranormal investigators i mean a lot of people are involved in this so it's hard it's always hard to be like oh well it's all bullshit you know it sounds like a fake made-up story well if you say that then you're saying all these people are full of shit including i mean we're talking about law enforcement officers yeah. caseworkers for the department of child services i mean there's a lot of people that experienced something or felt something within this house mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's up for debate whether this was a portal to hell or if something just really, really horrible happened here at some point in the history of this home. Again, this house is pretty old. Yeah, very. Or, you know, you never know. Somebody could have done some type of ritual or conjured some type of spirit in here. I mean, or just had a, you know, session with the Ouija board and it went really wrong. Yeah, it's very possible. Very. So at the end of the day, I think it's, it's really up to you what you think, whether or not you believe it. And definitely would recommend checking out Demon House. It's a very interesting documentary. Yeah. Definitely helps kind of put things into perspective for you as far as, you know, all the different experiences and the things that we covered 
in this episode. Yeah. I mean, I liked the movie, but I just, the only thing I didn't like about it was they did over exaggerate, you know, many different scenes and right when it wasn't even necessary. Right. Um, I, yeah. Just well, kind of, it was just kind of frustrating to see, but at the end of the day, it is, it is a good movie. It's, it's worth watching. Yeah, it definitely is worth watching. And, and I think anybody who's ever seen ghost adventures, I think, I think with any paranormal TV show, it doesn't matter who's doing it. Like mm-hmm. there is, it's hard. I mean, it's hard because it's not yeah. like there's constant action all the time. Right. So sometimes to, in order, you got to remember they are making a film for entertainment, right? Entertain. At, the end of the time, yeah. at the end of the day, this is entertainment. So are there going to be things that are played up a little bit? Is there going to be some dramatics in there? Yeah, Absolutely. For sure. Because that's just what makes a good film, you know? Like, yeah, true. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, I guess yeah. you could say. And, uh, you yeah. know, if it piques your interest, then definitely check out demon house but that is the very spooky story of the Ammons family haunting the portal to hell the very infamous demon house that is luckily no longer around but with that we will go ahead and wrap up today's episode there hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the lights out podcast if you did definitely drop us a, a like if you're watching on youtube make sure you're subscribed to us too on apple podcasts and youtube really appreciate it and yeah Follow us on Spotify if you're not, and on social media at Lights Out Cast. But until next time, lights out, everybody.